Hello, this is JFL, John Francis Leader, and welcome to the Body, Mind, Self podcast. So I'm here with Keith Barry. Keith, you're very welcome to the Body, Mind, Self podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Mm. Um, a lot of our listeners are going to know who you are, a good few of them, people who travel these kind of weird, obscure circles <laughs> and listen to this kind of thing probably yeah. have a sense of what you do. For those of them who mightn't or, or for anybody who uh, maybe doesn't know as much about you as they think they do, who are you? What are you interested in? What do you do? It's uh, a good question, I guess. Yeah, I suppose a lot of people who like us, uh, who may not watch a whole lot of television, I certainly don't, I don't know about you, sure. uh, may not be aware of the type of stuff that I do. So I suppose, uh, to backtrack, I'll give you a quick synopsis of where I came from. When yes, I was yeah. 14, I bought a, a little pamphlet on hypnosis. And uh, that kind of got, uh, you know, at the time I was practicing magic, uh, but that was the time I really got, uh, I suppose, uh, you know, excited about the power of hypnosis and the subconscious mind. So I started practicing hypnosis when I was 14 on friends and family and so on. And then, and at the time I was doing a lot of magic as well. And then when I was 18, I went to college up to UCG, which is NUIG mm -hmm. now, and graduated from there with an honors chemistry degree, studied science up there and graduated with chemistry. And my girlfriend, who then, who is now my wife she was studying psychology mm. so I started to read all of her psychology books uh, right. when uh, not necessarily when she wasn't watching but I, I you know just when I wasn't studying I was reading her books and I found that I was fascinated by uh, psychology and the power of the subconscious mind and then I became a cosmetic scientist I did that for two two and a half years and then when I was 23 jumped into full-time as an entertainer so entertainment being mentalism magic and hypnosis mm. and then shortly after that just started uh you know studying how hypnosis could benefit people in a therapeutic environment studied with tony sadar here also worked with uh, paul golden when he was oh, yeah. live uh and now i'm registered with the national guild of hypnotists over in the u.s and uh, yeah, I suppose I've hypnotized thousands of people, probably like yourself, over the last, I'm 40 now, so mm. 16 years, 17 years, to oh, for thousands of different reasons, and uh, and then also for entertainment purposes as well. Mm. That's another thing I think we have in common. You're allowed uh, to be old as a hypnotist, so 40 is a young hypnotist, generally in most people's minds, so a good career ahead of you. Yeah, it's very young as a hypnotist, yeah, you're not <laughs> wrong, you know, I suppose... Yeah hypnosis a lot of it does come with maturity and with age and you know as a young hypnotist it is difficult to hypnotize people certainly at 14 i had a lot of more sure. way more failure than than i did success even at 18 19 20 it was really my mid-20s i started having a lot of success with it and then late 20s started doing a, a lot of i mean i suppose a lot of people out there wouldn't know some of the more extreme examples that I, I decided to, to use in my probably in my early 30s. So, for example, on Ireland AM, mm. uh, and the footage exists. I'm in there tomorrow, so I should ask them for the footage, dig it out of the archives, yeah. and get it up on YouTube, because I think people will be fascinated by it. Because uh, I, I basically put out a challenge. I said, look, I can cure uh, anybody of any phobia uh, within an hour. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a, a big claim for him. claim, yeah, yeah. For any hypnotist to make. And I left it up to Ireland AM to choose the subjects. Mm -hmm. So I had no control over who they were going to pick. So they picked people with extreme, extreme phobias. Uh, one person had such a phobia of snakes. You would think, okay, we're here in Ireland. You can avoid snakes. Sure. But she, if she saw a snake in a newspaper, she would freak out and have a full-blown ab reaction to that. Um, and one time she was looking after her grandchild and she noticed after an hour or so of looking after the grandkid that the, the child was wearing a baby robe which had 
trap and have toy snakes on it. Okay. Uh, but she then locked the grandkid in the kitchen, left the grandkid there while she called the parent who had, right. had to leave work and so on. So it was a big problem. Um, and then somebody else had a massive phobia of dogs. Uh, so we took five of them and then all five uh, just took them for an hour a day, each one of them, and it was a huge success. And uh, and then I did an extreme one. I, we were talking about Richard Bandler before yeah. we came in here. And I noticed that Richard Bandler had cured somebody of a fear of flying within a couple of hours and then brought them up on a flight and flew them. He, he flew with them on a flight somewhere. And Paul McKenna did something similar. And then I thought, well, what's better than that? Well, I, I'll take 10 people who've had a fear of flying, take all 10 of them on a flight. So I did that with 98FM a couple of years ago right. and uh, all 10 got on the flight. I'm happy to say I still get mm. emails from them mm. saying one of them actually took up flying uh, as a hobby so he became a pilot right. afterwards which right. is just an amazing experience so I suppose that's a, if a synopsis of the type of stuff that I've done over the if, years if you were to you know go back to younger Keith and if you were to project into the future could you have you know imagined anything like this was there any sense and this was the kind of thing that you wanted to do or or did you just follow your heart and it led you to where you find yourself I always knew that I was going to be a full time uh, magical uh, entertainer okay. I don't think I would have known then at 14 that I was going to go down any kind of therapeutic route, any type of route uh, I thought would maybe alter people's lives. Sure. I, I probably at that stage would have thought it was just for entertainment. Yeah. I mean, I'm at the stage now where uh, my son is four and a half. Mm. So four and a half years ago, I hypnobirthed my own wife. Yeah. And, and you know, if ever there's a, a test for your, uh, I, I, for people out there who maybe are on the fence about believing or not believing sure. in hypnosis, and there's always that thing even between hypnotists, Absolutely. whether it's real or not. Absolutely. Uh, that for me is the ultimate, is to be able to hypnobirth my wife. Uh, and that was an amazing experience, uh, not just for her, but for me as well, you know. Mm -hmm. Hypnosis uh, for you, uh, as opposed to any other form of psychology, I mean, one, one appealing thing, I know for me, what really interested me about it was, I remember when I decided to study psychology and... I think a lot of uh, psychology students, whether formally or informally, when they're studying it, they start off with an enthusiasm. They pick up the books. They realize this stuff is pretty interesting, mm. but it's on paper. Yeah. There's no interaction with people. The, 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 that connection and that rapport, yeah. I think, is what a lot of people want. Is that what appealed to you about it, too? Or why hypnosis rather than any other type of psychology or be some other form of therapist? What is it about hypnosis? Well, I, as I mentioned, I, I started off using hypnosis as a form of entertainment. And then it kind of naturally progressed into just using it for other things yeah um but uh, truly what fascinates me really about hypnosis as opposed to other forms of psychology which i'm hugely interested sure. in by the way and uh, and i consider myself very well read on all forms of psychology and philosophy and things like that but i truly believe that a lot of the issues that people are having today can really be at least assisted using hypnosis because habits fears emotions all of these things uh, reside on a subconscious level if you go to certain doctors they'll give you a pill that'll numb down whatever's going on in the brain but it's not solving anything uh, and very often uh, i think people don't just understand how their own brain works i actually uh, you know i was thinking about it recently i think from a very young age uh, like my daughter's eight now i think from that age they should have curriculum in primary schools teaching people how sure. their minds function how sure. their minds work sure. Sure. and that they can take control of their own thoughts absolutely. emotions and feelings absolutely and uh, the problem is as you know 99.99999 percent of people don't realize that they can actually take control of what's going on there and help themselves yes you know? yes well let me wholeheartedly agree with you on the educational point because uh the, the, there's a huge problem here i think isn't it that we don't uh, have a clue 
essentially how our own minds work. It's not that we don't learn it as we go along to some degree, but imagine if you said, you know, we're going to disband the education system and people will learn to read and write, hopefully themselves. Yeah. It probably wouldn't happen. And if it did, there'd be a massive inequality in it. Yeah, so absolutely. you're absolutely right that that education long may that, you know, come and come already, soon. It's I'm very already important. teaching my kids two things. I'm teaching them one to think outside of the box. And then the second thing I'm teaching them is uh, about psychology and about how yeah. their brains work. Yeah. And I think it's massively important. Like, you know, my eight-year-old now, uh, you know, I taught her when she was four, I think it was, to say the alphabet backwards. Right. And I got a call from the school and it was a whole thing. It turned into a whole thing because I talked about it on radio and uh, I won't get into it now, but <laughs> I was like, listen, she's just learning a little bit differently than you guys there in school. And the teacher was like, well, what do you mean? I said, here's what I mean. I don't want her thinking linearly. I want her thinking outside of the box, even from a very young age. Um, like today, I paid her two euro to, uh, she, she's big into art. I said, uh, but you're, 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 you're learning from books and you're learning from YouTube and whatever, but I want original art now from your brain. So I'll mm. pay a two euro to uh, draw me something from your brain. Right. Uh, but it has to be relevant to me. So yeah. I said, uh, it needs to be for me. So it can be anything with my hobbies, which I, you know, I, I go fishing and I'm on TV and whatever. So I said, just there, but it's just encouraging them at a young age to think differently and think for themselves. You Ken know? Robinson's, uh, TED Talk, do schools kill creativity? Mm. Any uh, listeners, check that out if you haven't. Yeah, amazing. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's precisely that point, and uh, it's it's essential. And of course, one of the, the things I think you're pointing to there is the risk of being overly normative and having a sense of this is what intelligence yeah. or education means. You know, I mean, a lot of this, of course, was set in, in in place in the late 1800s, and it may well have worked in that in that context, but. You know, we need something different very often today. Yeah, we've become a cotton wool society as well, mm -hmm. I believe. And yeah. I don't necessarily agree with it. It's just a personal opinion. So, you know, when my kids are doing something that necessarily is uh, perhaps, you know, borderline dangerous. And I'm just talking about something fun like climbing a wall. But I know, you know, kids don't fall off walls in a sure. general sense. They they understand danger and they need sure. to understand danger. So, you know, my daughter might say, oh, that, that wall's a bit high, isn't it? It's a bit dangerous. I said, absolutely. That's why you should climb the wall. Go climb the wall. Mm -hmm. When I put her to bed the other night, I was like, um, uh, you know, it's really late. It's way past your bedtime. If I was you, when I leave this room, I would pick up a book and start reading that book. But if I catch you, you're going to be in trouble. She was like, what do you mean, Dad? Now you're confusing me. I said, exactly my point. And the reason I was doing that is to, for her to just lie in bed and think about, well, am I going to pick up the book? Am I not going to pick? Am I allowed? Am I not? But that's a good thing. Right. It's not confusion. <laughs> it's, I want to test her a little bit. And then I went back in and said, are you reading that book? And she said, no. And then I was like, why are you not reading the book? And now she's complete. what do you mean, Dad? But that kind of thought process yes. for kids is actually very good, believe it or not. Well, you know? You're talking about something very important there, which I think is, is really the the applied nature of this, you know, mm. taking ideas and really putting them into practice. Yeah. So so let's get to that, if we can, in mm. a second a bit more, because that's really, really important. Yeah. I think it's a real key theme. Before we get to that, I'm conscious that we're throwing around words like hypnosis, because, of course, we have the danger of doing that. You and mm. I both have an interest in this topic. Our, our paths have overlapped. Yeah. Uh, we do different things with it. We have slightly different backgrounds, but we've similar interests yeah. there in the middle of that Venn diagram. Um, I'm also conscious that uh, when we talk about things like hypnosis, it's rather interesting because even people who the average person on the street would consider must be experts on something like mm. hypnosis, your local psychology professor, etc., may not 
have uh, certainly not that much experience with mm. it, but not even necessarily a huge amount of knowledge. And I don't don't mean to offend any of my psychology professor listeners, mm-hmm. but this is something you see in practice. Yeah. It's a bit of a weird one in that sense. What sort of a working definition could we give to a very diverse audience as to what the hell we're talking about when we use that word? Well, well you hit on a couple of things there. I mean, we'll get to the definition in a second, but first of all, I don't consider anybody a true expert in hypnosis. We're all learning. We're learning today with technology, what's happening in the brain and so on. Uh, so I, I, you know, really an expert is kind of a, for me, just a, it's a title that, you know, I mean, on my posters at the moment, it says the world's number one hypnotist. That's my marketing team. That's, uh, that's a whole <laughs> other thing going on there to sell tickets for my live show, which, uh, which is fantastic. It's on December 28th, by the way, I'm starting in, uh, in Galway and then I'm taking the North, South, East, West. Hypnomagic is the name. You can check out dates on keithbarry.com. But, uh, I don't consider anybody an expert, but truly hypnosis. I mean, Look, it's open to definition, as you know. But for me, on a simplistic term, and and this is the way I describe it, you may have a a different definition. It's literally relaxing down the conscious mind to such an extent that somebody, uh, either the person themselves or a hypnotist, can then reprogram what's going on on a subconscious level. Why do we need to do that? Because our subconscious level, our, our subconscious mind uh, controls our autonomic nervous system, our breathing, mm-hmm. our heart rate, our blood flow, uh, our emotions, and truly, you know, anything from confidence to weight loss to smoking habits, fears, phobias, anything at all that you know, with feelings, with emotions, resides on a subconscious level. And as a hypnotist, or people who want to self-hypnotize themselves. Uh, they can truly, truly, and I can't exaggerate this enough, can truly reprogram what's going on in a subconscious level to literally achieve anything that they want in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, yeah, hypnosis, right. shutting down and relaxing the conscious mind and igniting the subconscious mind mm-hmm. and reprogramming what's going on inside. It's uh, something that really evades definition, mm. I think, isn't it? Because it isn't really a single thing in and of itself, isn't it? It's a bit no. like I often think if you have a list of, you know, I'm obviously coming from a therapeutic background, if you have a list of therapies like counseling or cognitive behavioral therapy, etc., the list yeah. goes on. And then if you have a list of words like memory, imagination, concentration, focus, hypnosis belongs over on that side, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Rather than the other one. And of course, if you try and define any one of those things, you're trying to define every other thing as well, isn't it? You're pulling an awful lot together. Yeah. And what's interesting is, you know, you, you find people who say, oh, CBT didn't didn't work for me. But you equally find a certain amount of people who say hypnosis didn't work for me and I'm not going to go to a hypnotist. Well, actually, if you stop and think about it, it wasn't necessarily the hypnosis that didn't work for you. It was that, that particular hypnotist. And as we mentioned before, and you just mentioned a few moments ago, you know, pretty much anybody can become qualified in hypnosis. And depending on what course you're taking, sure. you can do it pretty quickly sure. or over a long period of time. Sure. Truly a good hypnotist. Uh, it comes from experience. It really does sure. come. And you said it earlier on. It comes from uh, failing thousands of times yes, yes. and then being successful thousands of times. Thomas Edison style. Yeah, and yeah. it really is. Yeah. And there's no there's no other way around that. Yeah. And the problem is, I suppose, academically and then even shortly when people graduate, mm. where do they go to practice this stuff? Yeah, you sure. practice some friends and family and then you set up a practice, but that's not the place to practice. So sure. it's difficult, you sure. know. And you, you see, it seems to be two extremes, which has always kind of disturbed me a bit. And it's a, I'm polarizing it a bit here. Yeah. It's not quite this bad, but, but it can be sometimes. There seems to be a danger of people who... On one hand, we'd really respect because they are thoughtful. They're careful in the way they they gather their data. They're you know real proper scientists, yeah. and they're kind of conservative in, in a good way. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's great because we need those people. If you have an engineer building a bridge for you, you want that guy yeah. or that girl to do it. You yeah, know yeah. because they're going to be really really careful and and do that. 
yet on the other hand, when it comes to something like applied psychology, when it comes to really whether we're talking about hypnosis or whether we're talking about anything else that's very applied, we seem to need a kind of a person who has, I don't know, a fluidity to them. Somebody yep. who can not be too restricted by, by hopefully not by facts, because that matters. Yeah. But at the same time, they're not hiding behind a book in any way and they're willing to take risks. Yes. What, what do you see in the future as the meeting point between those two things? These two people seem to be different camps sometimes, and that, that disturbs me. Yeah, you're right. I, like, you know, sometimes academically, you know, when people learn from certain books or certain places, they can become very, uh, I suppose, closed in in their own mindset of, of what they can and can't do with a certain client. You know, I think you need to be very malleable as a hypnotist and yeah. everything from an induction and anybody who doesn't know what an induction is, it's literally the process where you're hypnotizing somebody and getting them nice and relaxed and ready to reprogram their subconscious mind. The thing is, we've got all these textbooks and uh, we can learn scripts from those textbooks, you know, certain script would suit perhaps uh, weight loss, another script. What's becoming very popular now is the gastric band hypnosis where sure, sure. Uh, people use it for uh, weight loss and stuff like that. But the, but the thing about it is uh, you've got to sit and talk to a person. You've got to find out about the person. Are they kinesthetic, auditory, visual? You've got to use certain language patterns that uh, they will accept. You've also got to get people to understand hypnosis and you've got to get take time. Sure, sure. You know, very often people... And of course, I fall into this category. Uh, some some of the hypnotists, especially in the UK, the UK is a minefield for this kind of stuff. Uh, the clinical hypnotherapists have a huge problem with using with somebody like me using hypnosis on stage as a form of entertainment. Sure, yeah. I think you're insulting somebody's intelligence, uh, as a matter of mm. fact, like the public's intelligence, uh, by having a problem with it. Why? I think the public are intelligent enough to know the difference yep. between me on stage as a performer and the people on stage performing in a manner that they normally wouldn't versus being in a clinical setting and assisting somebody using hypnosis and if that's properly explained then there's not necessarily too much of a problem with it but yeah academically if we I think really what needs to happen with hypnosis is when people are learning they need to be taught and they need to understand that uh, you know once they learn these language patterns once they learn how to hypnotize and after that it's up to them to insert their own personality into it mm -hmm. and a lot of uh, hypnosis is to do with the hypnotist the hypnotist being assertive being confident that he's going to hypnotize the subject and being confident that he's going to help them or assist them with whatever issue that right, they have right and and that's what i think really needs to yeah. be taken across through the academic world because i see a lot of hypnotists mm. getting qualified and i've talked to a lot of them and I have to tell you, I'd have no confidence in them if I went to them. Sure. As, I, I sure. also think these hypnotists, and I, I'm just going to speak openly here on a podcast, yeah. they need to get in the gym. I mean, seriously. <laughs> like, if I go to a hypnotist for weight loss, and I know a lot of them, they're and they're massively overweight. Well, how am I going to have confidence in this guy who's sitting here who's three <laughs> stone overweight, and I'm going to you for weight loss? Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? So, mm -hmm. um, you know, a healthy mind, healthy body, for sure. You An know? example I've been uh, playing with is is maybe the example of, a, of an architect who isn't as constrained as an engineer. If you get an architect to design your house, or an engineer to design your house, you know, it's going to look a bit a bit functional, yeah. to say the least. Well, there you go. You know, yeah, it's going to stand, it's going to stand up, but it's going to look a bit functional. Yeah. Um, so th there seems to be something in the middle there between, uh, not on the other extreme either though, where you have somebody who tries to disobey the laws of physics and how they design your house either. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. But where they take it, between, but at the same yeah. time they're looking at the personal element and they'll have stylistic elements, they'll have aesthetic elements that are actually doing something, but the laws of physics in engineering don't necessarily contain that style within it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It needs to be yeah. added. Yeah. So yeah, I get what you're saying. That, that, that 
that if we can have that flair, but there's a lot of really good work going on and good research. Yes. And I think it frustrates me sometimes because sometimes it sits on dusty shelves or on PDF files and USB keys rather than being taken out and used in practice in a real way. Well, a good example, is, I suppose, is, is if you look at the history of hypnosis and neuro-linguistic programming and things like that. I mean, really, I've met a lot of people who've qualified in NLP. NLP, I mean, it, it, we could talk forever about sure. it, but basically it became a huge fad in really in the 1980s, 1990s. It's kind of waned off a little bit now, but it's still pretty popular out there. But neuro-linguistic programming, and, you know, once again, that's it's a form of hypnosis to, to simplify it. Yeah. But really, that was relabeling of Milton Erickson's work. I mean, sure. really, that's what Richard Bandler did and Grindler. And, uh, you know, they relabeled Milton Erickson's works. They took the most successful parts of it and they labeled it as NLP. So for me, I studied NLP a little bit, but I really went back then to Milton Erickson's works. Mm -hmm. And I think it's massively important to realize that uh, the most successful hypnotists uh, in the world, per se, uh, you know, are from that era. And the, their textbooks are what I find mm. juicy. Because if I if I ask, that's what I meant to say, if I asked like six or seven people who have qualified in NLP uh, where it came from, some of them, not, most of them don't even know that it came from Richard Bandler and Grinder, okay. uh, which is amazing to me. They didn't even yeah, know yeah. the names of the guys who wrote it. And then they certainly don't know that it came from Milton Erickson's works. Yeah. And, and they don't even know who he is. And I'm like, well, listen, you know, if you go back and read his texts, and then all we have to do is modernize that. And yeah. that's where the research that you're talking yeah. about comes yes, in hugely right, and right. massively um, yeah, and of course science helps us I'm a scientist mm -hmm. so I'm pro-science and I'm pro uh, mm -hmm. you know developing new language patterns I'm pro uh, examining what's going on in the brain under hypnosis yeah. and things like that yeah. uh, because I come from a scientific background you know I am interested in what you do because of how applied it is. You're, yeah. you're very much out there doing it. Um, a, a metaphor comes to mind for me when I think about uh, when people talk about the use of deception. And you, you mentioned it a moment ago when we we're talking about being on stage, mm. using hypnosis. And uh, as we'll get to in just a moment, yeah. hypnosis, of course, is such a broad phenomenon that there's many different yeah, things yeah. that can happen within it. Of course, as I think you would agree, some of which would be appropriate and inappropriate to use in different contexts. Yeah. So this is it. It's, it's not necessarily one thing going on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think of if you if you can imagine it's it's uh, say a hundred years ago and you walk into um, a, 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 an event where there's a, a magician on stage mm. and they're they're sawing the lady in half. Um, there may be a sense in which you think this is really happening. There yeah. may be some sense of mystery about it. If you then go to the local hospital and you start giving out to the surgeon and you say, for God's sake, this is only a small procedure and it takes you hours. Your man on stage could do it in moments. Yeah, he could yeah. cut somebody in half. Yeah. There seems to be some sense in which, uh, through the education of people, I suppose, we, we've come to know, and it's no less impressive, of course. For me, actually, it's more impressive. We're able to look at something and go, I have no idea how that was done. Yeah. Your man told me at the beginning that he was going to fool me, yeah. and he did, yeah. and that's great. There's some magic to it. As we focus on mentalism, psychology, and how the mind works, mm. we seem to be today with psychology and mentalism maybe where we would have been with the supernatural and the lady yeah. in half a hundred odd years yeah, ago. Yeah. Are the audiences there yet? Because we do want to give them credit, and I think that's true to some degree. But of course, you will also have that phenomena of, of somebody going to the therapist and saying, you know, look, you know, I have lifelong depression. Can't you click the fingers mm. in that sense? Yeah, yeah. And we don't want to just send them for decades if therapy would know aim inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But of course, we do want to hit some balance with that. Yeah. What, what do you think? 
It's interesting, you know, and I kind of know exactly where you're coming from. You yeah. know, I'm on stage, I hypnotize people within 15 minutes and get them to do crazy outlandish and foolish things. And then, of course, sometimes they go to a hypnotist, even me, and they go, well, can't you just snap my fingers? The weird thing is, in some cases, you actually can. Uh, and, and that's where sometimes other hypnotists sure. disagree with me. And, and, sure. and that's why it's open to interpretation. But sure. I've done it. I'll give you a prime example of this. So back, um, I'm trying to think exactly when this was now, but probably 2008, I want to say 2009, I had my first Discovery Channel show over in the US. I had a lot, uh, many more after that. But the first one, um, I, you can probably find this online. I did this uh, hypnosis experiment on this guy that had met on the street. And it was a mind wipe. So where I hypnotize the guy and I raise his memory of basically his whole life. So he mm -hmm. forgets who he is and where he's from. And it was for entertainment. It was for the show. Yep. And and then we had a psychologist uh, slash hypnotist on uh, describing, you know, how that happens and how it works and so on. But when we cut tape, when we finished recording, uh, I started talking to the guy. And uh, I realized that he had quite a bad stutter, which yep. I hadn't noticed on camera. Uh, and then the more I spoke with him, the more uh, he expressed that he'd had a stutter from birth pretty much, you know, so sure. as long as he can remember, he sure. had a stutter and a really bad stutter. And his two friends were there and I said to his two friends, uh, I said, uh, uh, you know, have you ever heard him not stutter? And they were like, no. And I said, okay, guys, put the cameras back up. I'm going to uh, uh, try and help this guy with his stutter. Yeah. And literally, I never promised the guy that was going to do it. I just said, look, would you like me to try uh, some... Uh, hypnosis therapy with you they didn't the director and producers had no interest in this right. because we had scripted for it so they never put up the cameras yeah, yeah. so i just did it on the guy and i made up an induction on the spot and this is what we're talking about being malleable because yes, i never yes, I, i'd yeah. never i'd never hypnotized somebody to get them over a stutter before so uh and i remember exactly what i did i hypnotized them took about uh, probably did about a 10 minute induction uh, and then uh, I got him to imagine that the words were flowing out of his out of his mouth uh, like a river. And I wanted him to imagine that in the middle of the river, there's a big blockage, like a huge big stone. And I got him to shrink down the stone slower and slower and slower until, until of course, the stone was gone and the river was the most free-flowing river. And then I just got him to start talking. Yeah. And I promise you, his friends freaked out. Um, and then I put in the embedded suggestions that this would be permanent forever, that he would never have a problem. And then, of course, I gave him some trigger mechanisms that if he ever had a problem with stuttering mm -hmm. again, that he could do certain things. Uh, and I got emails from the guy like two years later to say that he'd never stuttered again. Right. So that's where I say, you know, uh, I think, if, uh, see, luckily for me, I'm not a, I don't have run a full-time clinic. Sure. And a full-time clinic, I don't believe you can have, uh, I suppose you can't take chances with people so you sure. can't just do an instant induction and do a snap of the fingers sure, sure. <laughs> i've done it because it's been yeah. off the cuff for tv or entertainment or publicity stunt or whatever yeah so i kind of dance that dance but yeah. i do absolutely understand from a therapeutic environment you, you have to explain to somebody that you know it's very rare that people can go into instant hypnosis it's very sure. rare that you can snap your fingers and get somebody over a whatever issue that's going on and then we yeah. have to we have to you know i suppose find that middle ground where people need to understand that you may need to come back for a course uh or you may need to come up back for a top-up six months later or whatever it is that works for that person you know? yeah and i suppose a lot of a lot of different things just get bundled in, in, in into categories and um one way i like to think about it is you know if you were going i use this physiotherapy analogy a lot of my work and if you're going for physiotherapy 
there may be a sense in which, you know, if the physiotherapist said, what do you do for a living? And you, and you say, well, I lift boxes and I work in a warehouse. Yeah. And they say, well, can you show me how you normally lift? And they watch you as you're lifting and they notice that you're lifting with your back instead yeah. of your legs. There is a sense in which, you know, there's an instantaneous shift in approach yep. that they can bring about immediately. Uh, and, and that literally can happen in minutes. Mm -hmm. There's also a sense in which, of course, there probably will be exercises over the course of weeks yes. that you'd use to build up muscle yeah. tone in that sense. Yeah, yeah. And there's also kind of an educational aspect, isn't it, in the sense that the more we know about our bodies, the more we know how to use them and not misuse them. And that seems to be a very similar opportunity with the mind at the moment. So that, that is, is, I think, the greater public good, I suppose, in all of this. Yeah, I agree. Shrouded in secrecy a lot of the time. I don't know why, to be perfectly honest with you yeah. but <laughs> yeah i agree with you like you know we talk about physiotherapy i'm just straight out from the physiotherapist myself perfect i've, I've gone to physio for nearly 10 years now for well uh, nearly nine years for a car accident that i was involved in coming back from uh, a funeral up the north right. and a basically an off-duty uh, uh, policeman just careered from the other side of the road and slammed the head on into me so i was doing about 60 he's doing about 60 it's a long story, but to cut it short, it broke my knee, smashed my tibia and fibia all the way down, dislocated my ankle, broke all my metatarsals, and my foot was wrapped around mm. going the wrong way. So three and a half weeks up in hospital, up in the Royal Vic, and uh, and they told me you'll have a permanent limp, and I just said no, I won't. And they said no, no, you don't understand. Your leg is that you know you've got a seven inch plate, you've got thirteen screws. You're lucky to have your foot, you know, uh, mm. your foot was close to amputation. I said, well, I'm not going to have a limp. So then. I had to figure out how not to have a limp. So I'm like, yeah. so I examined it. Now, so this is where it comes into just using your mind differently. I said to myself, well, where's the best physios in the world? Because the people in Vincent's, they're fantastic. I can't speak highly of them enough. Mm -hmm. uh, my follow-up orthopedic was brilliant. But they're, they're, a lot of them are academics. I mean, they're out of college. They're kind of learning down there. They're young uh, guys and girls. They're in their early 20s and they're doing what they're told to do to make sure they, they help your leg and, and you don't get injured but that's not what I needed I needed to get rid of a limp a limp that I told was told I'd have forever so anyway cut a, cut a long story short I realised okay the best physios have to be looking after footballers not rugby players footballers 100 yeah. million pound footballers so I'm going to do everything I can to get to a footballer's physio so I pulled every string I could pull and got into Anfield for physio mm. and went to Victor Salinas who was their lead physio at the time he could still be there I don't know mm. hadn't walked for three and a half months went over to him through Dublin airport in a wheelchair I had two crutches and I was supposed to be able to at least wait bear at this stage and he uh he kind of used Reiki on me, which made me laugh because to me, that's a bit wishy-washy. But people would say that about hypnosis, so it's kind of funny. Sure. Um, <laughs> so I was like, well, whatever, if it works. But then after about an hour of that, he went, you can laugh, you can cry, you can sing, you can puke, you can do whatever, get ready. And he literally just ripped my leg every which way for three hours, which is what it needed. Yes, and yeah. the problem is a lot of academics are frightened to do that. Yeah. He's used to yeah. doing it. It comes down to experience again. He's used to doing this to footballers gotcha. day in, day out. So I went back on one crutch, went back to him three days, three weeks later, on one crutch and then came back with no crutches mm. uh, and now I understand I, I walk without a limp now I have a limp in the morning a little bit but that doesn't matter but my point being I learned myself yes. how to fix my body and I go to a guy in town I, I came back and I rang Brian O'Driscoll and I yep. said Brian who's the best physio in Ireland because now I need the follow up mm. and he said go into Mark McCabe and get ready for a world of pain and I still go for a world of pain every Tuesday why because if I don't do that I'll have a limp so it's the same with the mind. You know, if you have to learn, and once you learn how the mind works, and, and it comes down to exactly what you said, education. Yeah. Um, but there is no platform. I and mean, we were talking about mental health a yes, lot these yes, days. Yes, yes, yeah. And, and I think, obviously, it's very important to be open about it and not be closed. And talking to people helps. But by God, I don't think we'd have the problems that people have today 
if they just understood, even on a small level, yes. what's going on in their systems when Absolutely. they're having panic attacks, anxiety, or whatever that is. And that comes from education. And it's like what you're saying. It's almost shrouded in mystery. And there's no reason for it to be that way. If we, if we think back historically, I mean, doctors didn't have a bacterial notion of, of how disease spreads. They wouldn't wash their hands before operations. There you go, you yeah. know, now the amount of knowledge that the average person on the street has greatly surpasses some of you know, the medical yeah. geniuses of history. So I'd like to think playing the long game that something similar is happening with psychology. Hopefully, yeah. It's, it's, it's weird because, as we said, it, it seems to have fallen into these different camps of, of, of sort of renegade practitioners who will sort of make things up on the spot to a fault and academics mm. who will do nothing to a fault. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and right. it would be lovely yeah. to think that in the middle between those two points, some magic can happen. What, um, what interests me about your work and in, in watching your shows is, is, is a couple of things I see. There's, there's deception, there's misdirection, there's an artistry in it, which is very interesting to mm. watch. And, of course, is very, very good psychology. But, of course, it's not always the psychology you think it is. And that's yeah, why it's absolutely. interesting. It's and fascinating. That, yeah. and, that, and, that, and you are. And that's, that's what's fun about it, I suppose, is you can keep different audiences interesting. People, yeah. Some people will just be enthralled. Other people will be there trying to think. You can see yeah, yeah. the facial expressions even yeah. in the audience, which is kind of fun. But one of the other things you do, which is, is much more, I suppose, obvious, is you, you just show... I suppose, failings of a perceptual system or idiosyncrasies of it. They're yeah. not even failings, just ways in which it works. And for me, that can be actually one of the most powerful things because people, no matter how you know skeptical they might be or how much they think they are in control of their own minds, there are certain things which just kind of cast a light on the degree to which actually we're not. You know, there are systems yeah. at play oh, there absolutely. that are beyond us. How important is that in what you do? And how can we do more of that in the world to really show people directly what's going on? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, for me, I you know, I use this in the, the talk that you saw recently, which is where I'm really fascinated now by we're all far more alike than we are different. That's mm. what I think. And we all like to think that we're unique. But really, from all the studies that I've done, we really are pattern followers and pattern seekers. And I kind of use that a lot to my advantage in the, in the work that I do. And I demonstrate it to audiences. Sometimes I tell them, uh, and I show them that they're pattern followers and pattern seekers. Then other times I don't, and I use it to my advantage secretly. Um, and you, you know, perceptually, you know, we do think very alike. Like I know if we're on a podcast here, if I get everybody out there, and this is just a simple example, if I get everybody out there, and this is a simple thing you know, but if I get everybody out there to think of a vegetable, most people will think of a carrot. Those who don't mm. think of a carrot, mm. uh, a lot of people will think of broccoli or tomato, and that will cover about 80% of the people that are listening. Why? It's just because uh, certain vegetables from childhood will jump into our mind. I mean, funny enough, a lot of research has been done into that, just one thing, with carrots, and nobody really, really, really knows why, but I come, it come, for me, it comes down to just pattern following and pattern seeking. Like, you're, the guy back there is laughing because he just thought a carrot uh, <laughs> behind the camera. Um and then I have lots of other examples of this. There's a thing called, oh, you might remember the name, but now a fascinating thing I came across there a while ago. Uh, Booba and Kiki. Have you, did you hear of this experiment? Which is it? Uh, sure. I don't know the name of the experiment, but yeah. people can people type into YouTube. You could do or into Google, right? Yeah, yeah. You'll find it yourself. If you type in Kiki, K-I-K-I, and then Booba, B-O-U-B-A. Hmm. I can't remember the name of the guy who came up with the experiment, but it, it crosses language barriers too. So it's basically a shape which is kind of like if you imagine like a, almost like an ink blot yep. and then another shape which is like a, a distorted star and mm -hmm. if you put these up in front of people and this is what's interesting about it um, regardless of language and you ask people uh, name one of these booba and one of these kiki 
uh, 99% of the, the hit mm, rate is massive. Mm, mm. Uh, we'll go for the, the, the one with the ink blot will be Booba and the one with the distorted star will be Kiki. And a lot of research has been done into that again and, and they're, they're unsure of their reasoning why. Um, but of course, it's to do with you know what they think it's to do with the fact that uh, with the ink blot because it's circular and Booba because the vowels right. and the Bs, yes. that's kind of circular. It's Kiki, it's sharp so that the star is kind of sharp. But they thought that, mm. but now that it crosses language barriers and they ask people in Japan and China, then it confused the psychologists again, okay. which is where I say nobody is an expert because mm. we're not really too sure of that. Yes. Um, but I'll give another prime example. Yeah. Like for me in my work as a mentalist, look, I use deception techniques. I use real psychology techniques, real hypnosis techniques to create this gray area of entertainment. Right. But I love getting skeptics up on stage because I know it, the thing with them is I know exactly how they think. I'm not guessing. Sure. They think so one-dimensional. Mm -hmm. It's actually very easy for me to fool a skeptic. So mm -hmm. I love skeptics coming to my shows. Like I say to skeptics, where's sure. a skeptic? Stand up now. And then I just use all the, the techniques that I know about skeptics against them and they end up destroyed and they end up you know, flipping into at least sure. enjoying the night, if not becoming Absolutely. believers. You know, um, and, and there is huge value in that, isn't it? Because again, yeah. it's it's all in the act of, of, of really experiencing it. That... Um, that that sense in which uh, we we get immersed in things and the perceptual errors that we can make. I mean, w one example that comes to mind even just now as we're speaking is just language itself. Mm. If if we think about what's going on right now, we're both making sounds. Yeah. These are just sounds, you know, with the exception of things like automatopoeia, where you know it somewhat sounds like the thing you're pointing to. Generally, these are just sounds. They're totally arbitrary. They could mean anything. Mm -hmm. But if you think about what's happening at lightning speed, every sound is associating with previous experience yeah. of these sounds it's been constructed in real time so I think that's as good and as simple and uh, obvious as an example as any the mm. degree to which we're constructing our experience and of course there's advantages to that because if we didn't have that construction going on all the time the problem is every time we had an experience it would be like being in a new planet with no life or no past or no memories yeah, yeah, and we wouldn't have a clue what to do with anything but of course it also leaves us open to perceptual errors and assumptions mm. and seeing things that aren't there and, and all of that good stuff which is absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I, I, for me, I love uh, both negative and positive hallucinations, which I create mm -hmm. using hypnosis. Mm. Uh, sometimes I can create those using, uh, let's just say, magical techniques, secret magical techniques that yep. make it look like hypnosis. Yep. And that's where that's what really messes sometimes a hypnotist, sure. or a professional hypnotist, because you're looking at it as a hypnotist going, well, everybody else in here thinks that hip that's hypnosis. Uh, and you as a hypnotist, of course, you're looking at this going, well, I know that's not hypnosis. But I have no clue how the hell he's doing it. Right. And that's the right. fun part for me is yeah. using yeah. techniques against yeah. techniques, crossing yeah. over techniques to create this mad gray area. Uh, and for me, you know, for the most part, I'm self-taught in all these d different areas, you know. Right. Uh, you know, and I remember years ago, uh, Anthony Robbins is a good example. Mm. Uh, you know, I remember years ago, he said, uh, you know, I collect uh, results. I don't collect qualifications. Right. And, and I quite like that. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Because... Yeah. Yeah. Once you've learned a certain amount, and then it is about life experience and about you know just meeting people and talking to people. I mean, mm -hmm. that's why uh, you know I agreed to do this podcast mm -hmm. is because um, I don't interact a huge amount with other hypnotists. Sure, sure. Um, and it's not for any other reason except I'm just massively busy and uh, yeah. and I'm just not in that world. But I do enjoy it, and I do enjoy sharing ideas and collaborating. And, and I think it's so important to do. And you know, really, my aim for for this podcast is to have the kind of guests that. You know, if you, if you kind of add up all the guests, 
none of them would be happy with all of them, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, that it is that broad and that diverse, yeah, yeah. but within a topic area. Mm. And, you know, if in applied psychology and cognitive science we can't do that, I don't know of any other area where we, we could, yeah, because yeah, yeah. it is it is that messy in a good way. Yeah. And I think that is a good thing if we can, uh, if we can draw it together. On the point, we've used the word hypnosis a lot, and it, it's, it's a fair word to use. Something I'm really interested in is the degree to which, in some ways, the hypnosis is the problem. And sometimes I say that to, to people I work with. The problem is you're brilliant at hypnosis. You're in this trance state. You have these thoughts and these ideas. You're playing them again and again. You're believing yeah. them. You're believing them to such a degree. You're having physical symptoms of stress yeah. and anxiety, even though around you. Yeah, yeah. It's totally peaceful and everything is, is, is fine. So the, the hypnosis, uh, you know, as we talk about it, I think is helpful, would you agree, to look at as this as this thing that's happening to different degrees one way or the other. And some of the classic yeah. examples that are used are things like watching films or reading books or things yeah, like that too. Yeah. Or exactly, there is this immersion happening. What, what, what do you make of everyday trance? Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, another classic example is most people here are listening. They'll drive to work every day or get on a bus every day. They'll go from... Uh, a to B to work right and then if, if I ask them to replay in their mind exactly what they did in their car or on the bus uh, they wouldn't be able to why because they're actually in trance they just get into that pattern every day of going from A to B and they put themselves into a light altered state of mind right uh, so yeah really all hypnosis is self-hypnosis I mean somebody like you or I we're just teaching people how to relax their conscious mind and their subconscious mind and reprogram what's going on in there so yeah I mean you know, we're in the hypnotic state probably as much as we're not. Right. You know, uh, and that's, I suppose, it's up for argument, but I would agree with you. I'd be more on your side about it insofar as the moment you're fully invested in a book or fully invested in a movie, mm -hmm. then you're pretty much in trance. You're not thinking of anything else. You're relaxing right. your conscious mind and your subconscious mind is then taking over mm -hmm. because when you're reading a book and you're really immersed in that book, you're not thinking about it. You're in the moment. Sure. Uh, and really that's a lot of what hypnosis is. Not everything, but it is a lot of it. And um, yeah, and I think uh, we need to encourage that trance state a little bit more almost, mm. unless of course it has negative connotations. Yeah, and it seems to be both. Another analogy is there's a difference between teaching somebody how to play a particular song on piano versus teaching them the scales yeah. so that they can play any song. And there seems to be something there with absorption, immersion, presence, trance states. There's so many different terms, which I think sums up where we are as, a, as, a, as, a, as academics and practitioners because yeah. it's such a rich phenomenon, it is hard to pin down. But there is something to be, to be said for that, to, to encourage people to be able to certainly immerse in things deliberately, to be absorbed in them but also to know how to break out of that as well yeah. and I always find when I'm working with people that it can be such a simple thing but such a profound thing for them to realize um, and I don't mean to be too esoteric in the way I say this but quite simply that you're not your thoughts mm. you, you know there's this sense that because of proximity, because we're so used to being close to them the whole time, that this is the way it has to be. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like the operating system, I suppose, of the computer, if we use those types of analogies. But what a liberating thing it is to realize that, well, no, you can actually think different thoughts. You mightn't have thought to think different thoughts. That's the problem with the, the circularity of it. They need to learn. But you can bring that, that in. I, I and use that's the, the same problem. analogy. You know, uh, you know, I coined the term years ago. 
I was kind of looking for a new label for myself at the time, as opposed to hypnotist or mentalist, because people didn't understand that at the yeah, time. Yeah. Now, the, the the TV show has kind of gotten over that, the mentalist TV show. Okay, yeah. And people do understand the terminology. But years ago, I, I came up with this term brain hacker. Yeah, so yeah. I, I was the first yeah. kind of brain hacker in the world. There's a couple other guys now who have coined the terminology as well. Um, but I used to, you know, use the same kind of analogy as you, uh, you know, our brains truly are the world's first supercomputer. And just like computers, you can input information, you can extract information. Uh, just like computers, your brain can crash and burn. Yep. Uh, viruses <laughs> can get in there. It's the exact same as a computer. Um, and if you learn the operating system of a computer, you learn how to get rid of those viruses. You learn how to input new information. It's the exact same with the brain. And I think mm -hmm. it's a fantastic analogy because I think people kind of understand that oh I, I get that now I, I do get the fact that our brains are similar to computers but I have no idea how it functions and once again that yeah. comes from education you know? it's a very helpful metaphor I think it is and I don't know what we would do if we weren't in the information age but when you look back at old psychologists they talked about steam engines and things as yeah, metaphors yeah. so I suppose we all of us have something to work with I think the information age though is a it's a lot to answer for too you know I sure. think people are just with the advent of Facebook and Twitter um, and certain other things online, people are getting just slightly dumber. Uh, and, and, and I don't mean that to insult people, but I mean, if I wasn't in the, I'll be very open about this. If I wasn't in the industry that I'm in, the entertainment industry, mm. uh, I wouldn't be online. I just, it doesn't interest me at all. Facebook mm. doesn't interest me. I have a huge Facebook account. I do it every day because I have to. It's a business for me uh, to you know let people know where my shows sure, are and sure. things like that. But other than that, I have no interest in it. Uh, and that's just me as a person. I, I think people get so absorbed in this stuff that uh, they, they're forgetting reality. And I know we're going to talk about virtual yes, reality, yeah. uh, which I think, uh, you know, in some regards can be fantastic. But, you know, you as a hypnotist, you probably had this. Uh, people are coming to me now for addiction to Facebook, addiction to, to yeah, Twitter. It's but more I think common. everybody's addicted. I mean, yeah. it's unbelievable to me. I gave a talk on this last week at the yeah. HR tech conference in Paris. And as I was talking, I used a prime example. There was somebody in the audience and she hadn't looked up once from her phone um, <laughs> at me on stage and she couldn't hear me. I said, I want all 3,999 people to look at her right now. She can't even sense that 3,999 people are looking at her, let alone nice example. to her. Nice example. Um, and, you know, I think people need to actually take a reality check with all this on, you know, it, online is fantastic for research for me and you. Sure. And everything is accessible. That's sure. brilliant. <laughs> But to be putting up posts of Donald Trump and Melania Trump and this and that and the other, it, it's not progressive to your brain, your career or your lifestyle. It's actually inhibitive of all that. Well, that's what we were talking about a moment ago, isn't it? That these everyday trans states. And again, that seems to be where the opportunity is for personal empowerment or leadership mm -hmm. to use those types of cliche terms. But there's a reality to it that we can very easily get caught up in these things and days, weeks, months, or even years go by and you kind of wake up in, in a sense and you go, where was I well, <laughs> during that period? I'd like to stay up to date on, on everything that I'm yep. sure you do as well. So I just bought Focus magazine there recently. And in Focus magazine, I'm sure you'll be able to get it when this podcast goes out. Mm. Um, you know, it, they there's a, a report done in there that, that they're saying that children now are having problems with fake, facial recognition of their parents because they don't look up at their parents when they come right. into the house. Not encoding to begin with. If you yeah. think that's not yeah. a problem, then you have a problem out there. Uh, you know, for me, uh, on the stage show last year, I used to do this thing at the very start where I would get 
uh, I throw out a piece of paper to the audience. I get three people to write down three three-digit numbers. So let's just say 396, 175, and 430, whatever it right, is. Okay? Right. So just three three-digit numbers. And then I would get somebody up on stage at random just to add up the three three-digit three digit numbers that's all they would have to do add them up and then I would give the piece of paper to somebody now if the person up on stage was under the age of 30 I would turn to the audience and I would say um, now this person is going to be nervous and so on but I'm just letting you know now they won't be able to add those three numbers up they will not be able to add them up why because they're under 30 and they use their iPhones uh, to add they want, <laughs> and you want to see what they use these people remembering would, phone numbers as well isn't it what's yep. crazy you know, yep. these people yep. would try to add up the numbers they are trying to add up the numbers uh, across the right hand side as opposed yeah. to I was like what the and then I would just say hands up if you're over 50 yeah can you come up on stage can you add those up no problem done in a heartbeat yeah. but that's what I mean I mean that to me is quite frightening uh, that we can't add we can't function you know we're getting cars now that can drive themselves of mm-hmm. course that's going to be uh, I suppose helpful and beneficial but you know we got to be careful with this stuff too you know that does lead us nicely into virtual reality yeah, because yeah. it's only getting worse or better depending yeah, yeah. on what your position well, we is. We have to so. embrace it, but then we have to be careful of it too. So it's that dance. You know what I mean? It is a dance. A, a lovely word that uh, that uh, Jean Piaget is. Uh, he worked a lot with children in psychology, and he came a lot. A lot of the the kind of the tests or the metrics used for childhood development today came from his work. And uh, a great word he used was equilibration, and he used it to talk about this kind of dance this balance between on one hand this real concrete sense of how the world is and on the other hand ideas and imagination yeah. and kind of getting lost in them so of course if we get lost in imagination um th- th- that's good in some ways because there's a creativity yep, to absolutely. it but the problem is of course you can alienate yourself from the world you're in which is exactly yeah. what you're talking about the other issue of course is not just are we getting immersed in ideas but what ideas are we getting immersed yes. in and i think just the word is consent isn't it yeah. are we consensually becoming entranced and immersed in things because yeah. that's that's cool that's what happens yeah, when you yeah, choose yeah. a film versus yeah. leave the thing on constantly yeah, isn't it yeah, there's yeah. a difference there so but of course the other hand if you imagine um being so concrete that you can only see the world in front of you and you can never imagine anything beyond it yeah there's no innovation there's no creativity Absolutely, nothing yes. happens beyond that so it's it's a helpful word and i think it's a word that's going to, to be more necessary over mm-hmm. over the time that comes we'll unpack what virtual reality is what is your sense of what you've come up on so far in terms of virtual reality well i'm a little bit of a technophobe if i'm honest so i'm probably a little bit behind in this world but it uh, may be a good thing it may be it may yeah, be a quality I'll, nowadays I'll be honest, like yeah i just said i'd be off facebook twitter I'd be yeah, off yeah. all of them I, i'm in a yeah. huge fisherman angler so that's my thing okay but to get back to virtual reality uh you know i have studied a bit but more importantly the first real proper uh, virtual reality experience that i had was very recently uh, I worked on the movies uh, Now You See Me so two of them have gone out uh, and they're both they're magic and mentalism movies with Morgan Freeman and uh, uh, you know, Michael Caine and Woody Harrelson and so on so yeah. I I was involved in the script of those and, uh, and then the writing of them, them and then worked with the actors uh, but the director John Chu he's a massive into technology you know he's got the latest iphone and he'll stay up late at night and he'll sure. he'll <laughs> buy the iphone 8 whatever's going on um, so I was out in his house recently uh, in LA and he put me into this virtual reality world and it's the first time of course we've all experienced virtual reality on some level um, but this was the first time I was in a real proper modern system let's put it and my god it did open up my eyes a little bit I was yeah, yeah. fascinated by this world and then probably like yourself I immediately started thinking well how can we apply this in a positive manner and and uh, you know utilize it in, in my world and I haven't figured that out yet mm. but when I was in there 
I did forget a, a, about yes. reality. Yeah, right. Okay, which I guess what is is the point of it. <laughs> and uh, and it wasn't a game that we were playing. He gave me these two sticks in my hands. I don't know the name, sensors or whatever. Yes, motion controllers. Motion yeah. Controllers. And basically, I was building my own virtual reality world. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was a 360 degree experience. And then if you walk near walls, uh, this red thing comes up to let you know because yeah. it senses that you're near walls. So you're not going to walk in and hit your head or whatever. <clears throat> and it was amazing to me. Um, and after that, I don't really know how we can apply it uh, in our worlds because it's so new, I suppose. Um, but you probably have more thoughts on that than me. It's maybe. stretching the imagination, isn't yeah. it? And I think that's the exciting thing about it because th- th- there has been, I don't know, I don't want to say for a while there's been any gaps. The life is going on as it needs to. It's rich mm. and it's interesting. But in terms of technologies are really looking at the world in very different ways. I think we would use something like this. And what interested me most about uh, VR when I started uh, trying it, and, 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 and by the way, uh, we're obviously going to have you over to our VR lab now shortly to check out some of the stuff that's I'm going excited. on over here at UCD. So. when I was with John, I, I had a couple of beers <laughs> and we were just messing around, whereas now I've got my academic hat on. So I'll be in there thinking, how we can, can we really apply this? really unpack it a bit more and that, that yeah, yeah. and I was very interested to get your thoughts on it as well as everything else because it is a little bit of a new frontier yeah. and that's what's exciting it's like the old west when it comes to you know new yeah. psychological breakthroughs but what interested me most about it from a psychological perspective was not just that these experiences were very interesting that they were cool that they were impressive but what actually interested me most was taking the headset on and off and moving between those worlds yeah because for a while afterwards, I'd be kind of having these images and I'd be remembering things and dream states, a bit of inception going yeah, on, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And that reminded me of the work I do every day with clients in the office. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very interesting, We're the parallels there. States, mm. uh, without the headset, if you like. I think for me, and I haven't given it a huge amount of thought, but for me, I think it could revolutionize the way both psychologists and hypnotists work uh, and what i mean by that is uh, if you can imagine in your clinic uh, having a virtual reality headset so that right uh, you know um, getting somebody to really imagine and believe that sure. they're on a plane sure for example if they're uh, if they have a fear of flying sure and you can have all kinds of programs in there then that they could take control of the plane or that the plane is out of control and that they're going through bad turbulence or perhaps god forbid that yes they, it may be coming into some kind of a crash landing or something but uh, to make that really real in their mind because we uh, as hypnotists we try to get them to imagine these things and very often as you know some clients and some people just have a problem imagining things yeah i think right. the virtual reality world they don't really have to imagine it because for right. all intents and purposes they're there absolutely they're so i think it could have massive beneficial effects in the future once we probe it a bit more marry it a bit more and then open the discussion like and obviously you're doing uh, a lot of the research here at least mm. in Dublin if not in Ireland I don't know if there's anybody else doing the work that you're doing well there's a bunch of people doing it but what's very interesting about it is that they come from very different backgrounds yeah. you know you get these Which computer science people psychology people therapy people yeah. people in entertainment you name it you yeah, know yeah. they're all and, and I think that's what's really healthy about it because you realise with this type of thing that nobody's got a cornered yeah. and nobody even I don't think thinks they do right. yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's that much humility in it yeah. as a result so Ernest Hemingway has a, has a great quote which is the majority of the story exists beyond the page Mm -hmm. and 
what that gets me thinking about is the fact that virtual reality, although in its current manifestation is a little bit new and shiny, although even that, to be fair to some of the veterans in the field, it's been around a long time over the past few decades, some really good work going back decades people have been doing yeah. on it, but it's become kind of commercially viable today, which yeah, yeah, is, yeah. is kind of democratized it, I suppose, a bit. Um, but what's really interesting is if you think about it, I suppose a book is a virtual reality device. Isn't it? Yeah, oh yeah, of course. You know, yeah, it, yeah, it, it, it's thing. there. The, the, the old Irish Shanachy sitting around the fire telling the story a few thousand years ago. Yeah. This is virtual reality happening because of the, the, the picturing. Yeah. Um, what comes up there, though, is what happens, like in the example you gave of working with a phobia, something like that. What happens when you take some of the load off the person's imagination and start yes. giving it to them? Yeah. And, of course, there could be advantages and disadvantages mm -hmm. to that. One of the disadvantages could be they're doing less work. You yes. want them to yeah, engage yeah. more. But, of course, it could be the opposite. It could be that actually by taking the cognitive load off them, you free them up to engage with it a bit more. Yeah. Like if you're doing your accounts, my account, November, my accounts are coming up. If I... Uh, uh, don't try and hold it all in my imagination, mm. but I use virtuality and computers to set it out in front of me. That's not a way for me to ignore it. Yeah. It's a way for me to kind of offload so I can see it and then work with it a little bit more effectively. Any thoughts on that interplay between taking the load off imagination, putting it on technology and the mix between the two? Yeah, I mean, I think we're just going to have to experiment with it first and foremost. I don't know if, if anybody's done a huge amount of exper experimentation with this. What I will say is, I do find that you know when I'm hypnotizing people that they do find some people find that they just can't visualize the way I need them to visualize now when that happens I just change the course of action that I'm using with that person sure yeah but uh, first and foremost take uh, yeah I think they have to do the work uh, that's the first thing um, what I mean by that is I wouldn't be a fan of taking the workload off of them. Right. Because I think people need to understand that... Physio, again, isn't a physiotherapy. Yeah, yeah. whatever yeah. issue that they have, they got to push through that issue and it's going to be uncomfortable at times. Yeah. It's going to take work uh, on their behalf. I mean, you know, take, for example, two examples, a fear of spiders and a smoker. I mean, I don't think virtual reality is necessarily going to assist a smoker unless we get to... Uh, get them to create a world where they're, uh, you know, seeing the brighter, greener future. I mean, we can do that with virtual. They're doing some experimentation with uh, smoking cues, like being at the bar and then yeah, refusing so things like that, that yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but I think smokers need to understand that, you know, after three days, the nicotine is gone from their system and then it's really a mind game. Sure. Uh, you know, I'm doing a stop smoking seminar on December 3rd. Yes. In yeah. House in Maynooth. And people are saying, you know, you offer your money back guarantee and are you, is it a guarantee? Well, actually, there is a guarantee. You will stop smoking that day if you do what I tell you to do. Uh, but it's going to require work. It's going to be uncomfortable. Sure. Sure. Uh, you know, some people, for the, especially for the first three days, they're going to find that they'll get headaches. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to be nice. And yeah. you have to do a half an hour work in the morning and a half an hour work in the evening. And if you're not willing to work at it, then it, it's not and going that's, to work. And that's not a bad thing. No. You, you imagine, imagine as a thought experiment this new device. And it's, it's kind of like an iPhone or something, only it's even better. It also does your taxes for you. Mm. It also talks to your wife for you. <laughs> it also does your laundry. It yeah. does everything you don't need to do anything you can simply stop living yeah. you know th there's a certain point when you when you listen to that you go hey isn't yeah. it and you feel like you're being robbed at a certain level yeah, we can't become robotic and that's yeah. why i don't think virtual for me at least i don't think virtual reality should take the uh, the work effort effort away sure but i think sure. it definitely can assist in for example if you take a fear of spiders for example uh you as a hypnotist or i 
you're not going to have spiders, snakes, and sure. people have weird phobias, no, just uh, weird absolutely, is the wrong word, actually, yeah, unusual phobias, yes, yeah, such as fear of balloons. I dealt with fear of balloons on RLM. Um, to an extent, this woman uh, had not been at a family party or had been in a restaurant yes, for years yeah. because for fear that somebody else in the restaurant might be having a party and there could be a balloon there. So these are unusual fears, but massively in inhibitive in the person's life. Mm -hmm. but, but, you know, you don't know what's walking through the door day to day. Um, and you're not going to have all these different objects. And, and that's where a virtual reality can really assist. Yeah, really there's help, room help for a real, a real toolkit in yeah. that. Uh, one, um, one interesting point, Lev Vygotsky is uh, another great guy in, in, in this type of work. And he was back in the kind of Soviet era when he mm. was doing his work. And he was very ahead of his time, really. And a point he makes, which was interesting, he was talking about people with uh, learning difficulties. And, you know, back at that time, many, many decades ago, could have easily been a time where people like that were marginalized mm. and he said no no hold on a minute he said what they need is a kind of a scaffolding or a support if you can bring in certain things for them that will allow them to think certain thoughts they otherwise couldn't yes. think uh, and we all seem to need that in different ways I, I like to think that we're all stupid in our own way and yeah, that's where community comes in isn't it is, yep. is that sense that's of mutual support an expert in my opinion you know yeah I mean, yeah some people of course I have more knowledge and I need to learn from those people. And then I've got a lot more knowledge than other people and they need to learn from me. And we yeah. all need to stand on each other's shoulders to build this pyramid uh, that hopefully that when we get to the top, that at least uh, the general public they can, they can then understand what's going on and, and in the fields of not just our world, but the virtual reality world. And yes. they don't just sit down in front of the TV with the virtual reality headset, and just play games. Mm. That, there's fun in that. There's relaxation. Sure. In that. There's time for that. But look, sure. my kids are a prime example of this thing. Dan TDN. Have you heard of this guy? I don't think so. Kids? Uh, my oldest is two and a half, so oldest, maybe I'm not there you're yet. You're I, heading for this. I'm still at Peppa Pig. So, 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 yeah, so you're in a lucky world with Peppa Pig. <laughs> so there's this guy, Dan TDN. He plays Minecraft online. And the kids are watching the guy playing Minecraft Oh, yes, online. yes, right? yeah. The yeah, guy's making millions mean, of yeah. fair play to him. But like kids, all kids that I know, all my, my, my own kids and all their friends, they're addicted to this stuff. And they'll watch two, three hours of it if you let them. And, and that's where we have to start managing that. But we have to manage ourselves first. So we have to manage uh, the virtual world. Like a, a prime example is I meet a lot of people who are unemployed. They come to me just, you know, just for help, motivation and, and, yeah. and so on. So not, not necessarily even hypnosis. Just, sure. Uh, when I can, I just help people. And I think that's important. Like if you have the time, if you have the knowledge and the capability to help others, then so, you know you should really do that. And, and I do it as best as I can with the schedule that I have. Um, but very often with certain people who have been unemployed, they've come to me, you know, so they give me their story. But the stories, once again, follows the same pattern. Yeah. I just say to them, what did you do yesterday? Just tell me what you did yesterday. Just give me your schedule yesterday. What did you do? Well, I got up out of bed. What time did you get up out of bed? Well, around half, nine, ten. So a lot of them are that. Now, this isn't everybody. I'm just talking about the people who have come to me. And then uh, what did you do after that? Well, I went on Facebook. So how long did you spend on Facebook? So they say an hour. So I know that's two or three hours uh, because they're just trying to shave off mm -hmm. the time and and. and and then later on, well, I had lunch and, and then, you know, I went online, I had a quick look for a job for half an hour, fine. And then what you do after that? Well, I watched Carnation Street and then I watched, and I'm like, well, you're all in the same pattern. You're not going to get a job. And then, well, what do you mean? You're not, you're not, you should be up at eight o'clock looking for a job, putting on your best suit, going down, knocking on doors. You should be online for hours looking for jobs. And, if, and then after that, you should be out uh, going for a walk to make your mind healthy. Then you should be online learning a new course or whatever it is. Sure. And then if you want, you have your relaxation time and you watch your one episode of Coronation Street. Mm -hmm. But these things 
uh, people don't need to understand their downtime and we all need our downtime we all have to have our relaxation yes, yeah. time and that's very important uh, but I think a lot of people have too much of that you know mm-hmm. 9 to 5 is fine I mean people say I very often get this I get this a lot and it's like oh it's very well for you Keith Barry you're loaded and you're this and that <laughs> and the other and I'm like well hang on first of all I'm not loaded I went into massive debt for the four, four years or five years of my career which I'm still paying off to this day and I'm happy to pay it off uh, and then second of all uh, you know if you, if you want to talk to me like that that's absolutely fine but do understand this my average working day is 16 hours and that'll go up to 18 hours when I'm writing scripts sure. and writing stuff sure. and they go oh really I'm like oh no no you don't understand 16 hours a day is my average working day so yeah. if you want to come to me for advice absolutely fine I don't throw it down your throat but just listen and then we can talk about whether we agree or disagree but the, the, the only thing that ever rubs me up the wrong way is it's very well for you well actually it is because I burnt my hands in toasters on in McDonald's mm-hmm. uh, I was on the ships as a kids entertainer mm-hmm. and then I learned as I said since I was 14 mm-hmm. about hypnosis and the power of the mind and stuff so um, and I don't say that to be bashful or boastful I say it because I think yeah. people need to hear it sometimes but the, well, the, this is another form of virtual reality isn't it because that's one thing the media does or simplifications of things it shows their best parts it glamorizes mm. things that you know you and I both know require a lot of work in the background yeah it's it's you know the same I uh, you do too I work with athletes and mm. you know again they think oh you're just a fast runner you know there is yeah. a sense in that to some yeah, degree yeah. the work that they put in the uh, and it's funny if you're if you're if you're a jumper for example there mightn't be much jumping going on you should be sitting there stretching muscles in certain ways for hours on end and putting all of that leg sure work you, in like me, you enjoy watching tv when a, a sports event is on you hear the coaches sure. before and after a game i love studying that sure. stuff because uh, I, even the coaches not all of them a lot of them fall yep. into a pattern yep. and the pattern is well uh, you know the replays next week of the final and we'll put in our best and we'll try our best i'm like my god uh, like usain bolt doesn't say i'm gonna try my best <laughs> absolutely yep. he's just gonna win and that's it he doesn't he, the word try is long gone from his brain sure. all the top sure. golfers they don't say well i'm gonna try my best sure because they work with people like you and i over in the us anthony robbins has worked massively with uh, sports stars i worked with scott evans our badminton player uh, this year he's the only badminton player from Ireland to have ever won a game in the Olympics and it was fantastic to see him do so mm. well in the Olympics mm. um, and he understood immediately when I worked with him and, I, and by the way I don't take any credit for what he did sure. I just gave him a technique and a tool uh, just to flip a switch in his mind uh, that, that love court. particularly when you're talking about people and their direction and uh, that love and that passion just seems so important in it yeah. isn't it and I love you know that example of children playing they're not doing it because they have to. There's not an end goal in mind no. as such. There's a love of it. Yeah. And you always see that, isn't it, with the best athletes that even if there wasn't a race, they'd be running. Yeah. You know, there's that sense in which the finish line is, you know, sure, it's there as part of their goal setting, but in a way, it's kind of arbitrary. Yeah. They run fast. They love doing it. Yeah. They they win either way, in a sense, and that Absolutely, makes them run yeah. fast. Yeah, same with me. What I Look, I love helping people. I think you have to always remember where you came from and appreciate it. Uh, a lot of people say that but not a lot of people follow it like I had this discussion today with Mm. my assistant Jose Um, he's obviously Spanish Jose (laughs) Uh, he lives in Spain but he flies over here for all the projects that I do and uh, we're only talking today like just briefly uh, it's just a silly example Uh, we were both saying that we he's uh, very well known in Spain as a magician now not as a hypnotist yet but uh, he's kind of getting there now 
and uh, and he's helped a lot of young magicians in his time over there and I've helped a lot of magicians here mm. in my time uh, and I can't remember the last time I just even got a, a, a Facebook message from one of them saying thanks mm-hmm. um, which is fine I'm not looking for it but it's uh, all I do is I learn from that and I make sure that I pass on my thanks when I can mm-hmm. and I remember to pass on my thanks even because it is easy to forget yeah. uh, and I just like li- uh, learning lessons so the only reason I was mentioning it today to Jose was like uh, you know we got to make sure that we never forget ourselves to mm-hmm. thank the people that helped us and, and, and appreciate and for us we're having a laugh we're following our passion right. Right. we're enjoying what we do sometimes it's massively difficult we're dealing with difficult producers and difficult directors and um, when it's outside of my bubble, let's say, yes, um, and outside of my control, and I can't control uh, some TV shows that I'm on, I can't control some live shows that I'm on. What I can't do is control my actions and thoughts, my own, and the way I react to certain situations. Right, right. Uh, and sometimes that's difficult, you know, even for you, for me, even when yes. you know about your own brain. You know that concept of the uh, an internal locus of control, drawing mm. that in. It's responsibility essentially, not to be confused with blame, isn't it? There's yes. a big difference. Yeah, yeah. I love that captain of the ship metaphor. That you, you know, there can be a rough weather, uh, uh, but you can be a great captain, yes. isn't it? There's there's something about responding to what's happening in some way and there, there, there seems to be an awful lot to that yeah and i think once again people just sometimes don't know how to respond to certain situations yeah. like uh, uh, you know i mentioned it once again the talk that we had before i learned from life experiences and i've had more of my fair share of bad experiences my wife even says it to me i'm like she's like Geez, you've had a bad run of luck over time mm. you know i've had uh, we won't there's no point in getting into it as such but like I've had everything from my grandfather basically being murdered in his own home mm. as a botched robbery to my leg being mangled to the birth of our daughter where they ripped all the nerves in her arm and we were told it's probably permanent but there you go there's mm. your baby too yeah. my auntie there's lots of things yes, that happen yeah. we all have our own story everybody has problems in their lives massive problems and my problems are no uh, worse than yours and yours are no worse than mine I said this to somebody recently he said well mine are wor- worse than yours uh, you know my, well, he gave me this really horrific story and I said yes but it's terrible and it's emotional but I said the only thing that you can do is change your thought pattern I mean there's no other way around it sure, um, sure. but you have to learn the tools to do that and that is the point but to, to know that that even is possible yes you know is, is itself I think liberating for people that there is some room to step back to you know we might as well bring the matrix into this at some point <laughs> to, yeah. to wake up in some sense and realise that the, the that there are options. Yeah, in the future, virtual reality, I'm sure, will become a therapy in and of itself. Mm, uh, someone mm. will figure that out. Uh, but I think... But, but it's already happening. You know, we're yeah. getting lost in thoughts, we're putting on head-mounted displays, we're reading books, we're on Facebook. It's all... You know, there's yeah, differences, I, but it's the same kind of thing. I think people, thing. when they get caught in a rut, whatever that rut may be, they need just... And, and uh, I think everybody just kind of needs a little bit of help sometimes. I do, for sure. Sure, absolutely, 100%. Like I said it to somebody recently, I said, sometimes people think that I'm Superman. I said, I I actually just need to sit down and talk with you for a minute. I just need you to hear me for 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Sometimes, very often, I'm talking to other people and I realize, whoa, I need to mind myself. I see see that a lot because often somebody will come to do some work with me and they're a specialist in some form of health or research or whatever, but they have a problem themselves in exactly that area. And and funny, it can backfire the other way because sometimes, sometimes practicing what you preach sometimes can be a bit of a busman's holiday that you're sick of the topic yes. <laughs> and sometimes yeah, yeah. You, you don't so there's a challenge there isn't yeah, it but, but like you mentioned people need to understand that there are solutions out there you need to find yeah. the right solution for you yeah. that's all it is whether it's CBT hypnosis uh, I'd have opinions obviously on uh, other areas that I 
think are are to be avoided. Sure, uh, sure. You know, because just scientifically, they've been proven that they don't sure. work. Scientifically, sure. hypnosis has now been proven to work and be beneficial. Uh, so scientists are more on the side of hypnosis than against it these sure. days. Sure. You know? Well, I'd like to, on exactly what you're saying there. I'd like to think for for anybody who is you know who's listening and who's interested in this and who's who's looking for for support, therapeutic or otherwise, that there is a nice path between, uh, as I say, evidence base and real-life practice yes. that can be followed. And I really think it's getting better and better as time goes but by. But as you mentioned, it's not even necessarily if somebody has a problem. Like, we have sports people coming to us yeah, who exactly. need uh, assistance, need help to visualise an end goal just more clearly than they've ever visualised sure. and really have a, a sense no, of belief. a good point, good point. A, a sense of belief. So people need to understand that they can use these te- techniques to benefit their lives even if their lives are going great, you can have even a better life mm-hmm. if you just use certain tools and techniques, uh, visualization techniques, once again, on a subconscious level. Yeah. Because very often I hear these coaches in, in sports, uh, it's sometimes I kind of laugh at it because I'm not really a sports fan per se. Sure, so I don't, sure. I don't follow Man United versus Liverpool or vice versa or whatever. Um, but for me, the most successful teams are the teams that uh, have ultimate belief in their coach and the coach has ultimate belief in them and if you look at the top teams they don't mm-hmm. they don't the coach never says i'll try but we'll try our best and we'll try, try all that kind of stuff it's having ultimate ultimate self-belief mm-hmm. and belief in the people that you work with and i think that's important for me a long time ago i made a, a real uh, a decision to only surround myself by like-minded positive people okay. and i've lost some friends because of that mm-hmm. um of course look everybody has their problems so you've got to you got to make sure mm. that you manage your friends. And what, is, what I mean by that is, like, if, if we all have our flaws, yeah. So I didn't just push people away because they had flaws and their weaknesses. Like, for example, you might be on a night out where a friend gets a little bit too tipsy at dinner and sure. makes a bit of an idiot of themselves. I'm not talking about that. You don't cut ta- them instantly. Then, no, no, no. I'm talking about people who are just consistently negative at, sure. and a repetitive sure. pattern. Sure. And you might try and help that person, and then. They, they don't listen for whatever reason for me then yep. that rubs up me wrong way and i'm absorbing that it, and i have to get rid of it it's an important principle and they, they talk about that a lot as being a therapist one way they they say it is that psychological difficulty is at least as contagious as working in a hospital yes, with anything else yep. and it is a good meditation to have really one of the nice counterpoints they sometimes say there is that uh okay, if you want to work with people who are in a very dark place mm. you can do that but you must have people in an extra good place to be able to counterbalance it yes and that's kind of the safety mechanism but otherwise it can be truly dangerous yeah i just think for people out there they sometimes need to look around them and go well how is this person i'm positively benefiting their life just by being their friend not Mm -hmm. i'm not talking about hypnosis now for a minute i'm just talking about just being their friend and talking to them and helping them Uh, and sometimes i need you know people to talk and help me but then sometimes this person's just a negative vibe just a negative person they're always bitching and backbiting and, and you might say to them you know you, you really shouldn't talk like that I, I call people on it all the time yeah. very yeah. often we don't do that yeah. like when I hear somebody talking negatively about somebody else I go well actually you know I know that guy he, he's sure. not like that you sure. know, uh, an example I was talking to somebody the other day and uh, there was a TV personality that I, I just happened to ha- have a drink with in the bar Yes, and uh, and he left and, and this person, this other person hadn't been in, in our company, but they knew me and they went, oh, your man over there, I can't stand him. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, what do you mean you can't stand him? Do, do you know him? Oh, no, 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 I just can't stand him. And I'm like, well, that's just 
mm-hmm. not a nice thing to be saying. I'm a, they, sure. You've never met him, never had it. And lots of people think that about me. I get yes. it all the time. Oh, your man's an asshole. He's on yeah. TV. Who does he think he is? Well, I'm not. I'm just doing my thing. <laughs> I'm entertaining people. I'm helping people. If some people don't get that. That's fine. A prophet that, is never appreciated in his own home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but I tell you, here's the weird thing. If you look at a lot of people who've come off Twitter, the public personas come sure, off Twitter. Sure. Uh, sometimes those people might go home and have a huge, uh, huge like darkness at home because and that's of the that virtual stuff. reality of the media again, yeah, isn't and, it? The sampling. Yeah, and they don't mm. understand that we're people. We have feelings. Mm. Uh, luckily for me, I've just developed over years thick skin. But I know a lot of people who don't have that sure. and they become depressed, like public yeah. pers- personalities yeah. and the trolls don't really yeah. realize what they're actually doing. They've, they've no thought process of how damaging this can sometimes be, you know. I think there's something very valuable in what you're saying there. There is a sense uh, and, and this comes up time and time again. I'm sure you've heard it many, many, many times when talking about mental health as a topic. Mm. There's a real danger in pathologizing it yeah. and seeing it about the difficulties or the problems or the very, very extreme yeah. cases. Um but the point is, this is something that is relevant to every single one of us. Yes. The, the, there's nobody, just as there's, there's different notes in a piano, high and low, mm. there's nobody balanced that doesn't have an emotional range. If you're yeah. not able to feel those low feelings, go and get help, Yeah, isn't yeah, it, yeah. in a Absolutely. sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, as you say, how you manage it, yeah. how you work with it. You were talking there a moment ago about, about kind of lessons and learning through life. Uh, a big question, I know, but as you look at your life, any particular principle or lesson or learning anything that stands out for you that you feel has been important that you you now see more clearly than maybe you did many many years ago well i suppose a lot of them i have a lot of different things that i could say on that but for me i suppose i learned early in life when i was 14 i felt i was lucky that i found my passion early sure, in life sure and i do put that down to luck yes i mean i got a magic book or a magic set rather paul daniel's magic set when i was five mm-hmm. and immediately that bug just kind of bit me. Yeah. And every year then I would get magic sets. And then I was 14, I got a, 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 a the Klutz book of magic. And yeah. then I got the hypnosis book. So yeah. I was lucky that kind of, that just found me and then I just followed it. But I, I remember at the time my parents were like, oh yeah, this is all great Keith as a hobby, but you're going to college. Sure. Uh, but it, backwardly in the back of my mind, I always knew what I was going to do. I knew that I was going to become a full-time entertainer. Uh, I didn't know it was going to follow on from that into anything else other than that. Um, but I think the most important lesson that I learned is to absolutely follow your passion. And if you don't have a passion, this is the thing. People say, follow your passion. Uh, and I question people, well, what's your passion? And they could be 50 years of age. And they still don't know what their passion is. And I, and I say to them, well, look, how much have you actually, how much time have you actually spent creatively finding your passion? Right. Um, you know, and a passion is just maybe something that you like and then spread out of that. So it could be art. But not just paint. You know, I could say to somebody, "What's your? What do you yeah. like?" Yeah. Well, I like going to museums, looking at art. Well, have you ever picked up a paintbrush and just mm. tried it yourself? Have you ever done that? No. Have you ever picked up a pencil and just tried to copy something on YouTube, and then a couple of weeks later, maybe just do it on your own and doodle and and then maybe you could spread out of that and look online and and this is where I think re, you know the online world is good, the virtual reality world is good because then you can look online. Art isn't just art now; it's not just a painting on a wall. You can make a living out of putting frames around an art become a, a framer if that's the right yes, terminology yes. Um, and, and for me the most important thing I learned is I've been looking fortunately I found my passion early in life and I followed that passion with 100% conviction mm-hmm. with 
a lot and I mean massive amount of doors slamming in my faces and negative comments both to my face and online and whatever and I just block all that out you have to you have to block out the negative noise and bring in the positive noise uh, and for me that's how I live what I believe is a fulfilled life now there's a downside to that as well is that I live my life at 110 miles an hour right. uh, which sometimes is just not good for you it's yeah. not good for your body yeah. you know I, yeah. I do go on 18 hours a day mm-hmm. uh, but then I remember there was a long time that I went sick every Christmas when I would stop working. Yeah. My immune system would just go, oh, this is brilliant. Keith, stop working. Well, let's shut down as well. I'd be very sick. So I had everything from glandular fever to all <laughs> kinds of other things. Uh, and it leaves you open to that. But you've sure, got to look after sure. yourself. Uh, and then, you know, you've got to manage, for me, I've got to manage my family time then as well because, yeah. you, you know, you look at other people in uh, in our industry, uh, very well-known people, and you look at them and they're yeah. divorced and their kids are in boarding schools right, and they right. don't, you know, I look at that and I go, wow. Like if you look at, the fact that you know, I've got TV shows now in Australia and America, I've got a new one coming out in America next year. Um, uh, you know, another one coming out in the UK. Uh, but in saying that, if you look at my contemporaries, a lot of them are divorced or single or whatever it is, and they don't have a family life because they've become so obsessed and absorbed by the so passion, the which question, is dangerous. So the question that then comes up is, how how do you keep it together? I think I've managed it well. You know, I made a rule uh, couple of, when when I didn't have children. I would go to America for three months at a time, call my wife every day just to say hello, and then come back for a day because at the time I might not have had a visa. I wasn't wasn't getting any paid work out there. I was just out there hunting for work. Come back for a day and then go back for another three months. Mm. Um, But when I had kids, that was a changing point for me. I I just said, okay, and this came from me. I said, I've got to manage this. So I said, uh, okay, Maraid is my wife's name. My rule is that I won't go away for longer than five weeks at a time. So mm-hmm. after five weeks, either I come home or you come out to me. That's mm-hmm. it. Uh, and actually, when I made that rule, it's pretty much worked out that in eight years now, I've only ever had to go away for five weeks once. And that was down to Australia for a tour that I did mm-hmm. down there. But other than that, you know, I only go away for a couple of weeks at a time. Uh, and if it's longer than that, I take them with me or we right. juggle it and we manage right. it. And I'm, but I'm very conscious of that. And I'm very conscious that I'm when, when I'm here in Ireland, yeah. like t- you know, tomorrow morning I'm on Ireland AM and I've got other things on, but to carve out family time. Sure. Uh, sure. And for me, you know, I'm best friends now with my dad. I wasn't when I was 18, 19. It's probably like any teenager. Yeah. Uh, but now, you know, you know, I see them a lot. I see my kids a lot. And then I throw myself into work and then I have some downtime as well. And I do manage it quite well, I think. Um, so this this balance or this equilibration, as mm, Piaget would say, seems to be a bit of a theme in, in what we've been discussing. Yeah, yeah. If you just stop and reflect forward into the future, or we can kind of imagine, I suppose, everything we already have, but more and more and mm. more stuff, more and more information, yeah. more and more screens. I tweeted recently, check it out, a, a video where they're showing a kind of an augmented future that's not too far away. And it's yeah. mental. You yeah, know, yeah, it really imagine. is yeah, yeah. absolutely mental. And of course, it's hard to even imagine what it's going to be. As the information piles up and the sensory stimulation increases, the potential for distraction and division of attention. Yes. With your skills, with your interests, and just your personal experience mm. that you share there, what's your sense of what is going to be key? in balancing that and, and staying sane through it into the future? Well, yeah, well, that's a good question because I do find that the more the world progresses and the more that we're in a, a virtual reality world, a technology world, the more people are going a bit nuts and they're going a bit crazy. And I think it's overwhelming sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, the amount of information that's there. Yes. And, yeah. uh, 
you know, I think a lot of people out there will relate to the fact that they may be depressed or worried or anxious. And we know that now because, look, we're talking about it openly a lot. Yes. Uh, people like Brezzy, uh, you know, he's come out and he's yeah, a done a lot of talks. Yeah. And it's very good because I suppose uh, a lot of people were, they were trying beforehand, but they weren't being heard. Yeah. At least somebody in a public eye can be heard. There's a platform now. Yeah. 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 And I think it's fantastic. But then you realize just how many people out mm. there have problems and issues. Yeah. And, uh, I think you know technology is the right way can help those issues, but then it can be very overwhelming. So into the future, I mean, really, who knows? But I, I just think mindfulness, it, it is a good word. We hear it being bandied around a lot, but we have to be mindful of how we use technology. And, uh, you know, we have to be mindful of ourselves, of other people, and, uh, and spend time on ourselves. I mean, it sounds like such a cliche, simplistic example but mm. i love nothing better than to kick me kids outdoors uh, on sunny days and we go down to the forest right uh, and just get away from technology i also ban technology from the dinner table simple cliched example but a lot of people don't do that they sit yeah. there with the yeah. dinners yeah. on the laps and they're yeah. mopping up the dinners yeah. and i think the more technology progresses i mean you'll find you'll actually find people in 10 years time they'll have the virtual reality headsets on at, di at dinner Completely. you know and we got it push that away a little bit and, and, and that's where it gets complicated because you know i can when you talk about imagination or even reading a book maybe or even watching a screen mm. and, and then you talk about being outdoors in nature and smelling the trees and feeling the yeah. earth and all of that of course what virtual reality and mixed reality is trying to achieve is this real interesting synthesis between them where you've got tactile haptic feedback yeah you've got smell sensors yeah, we yeah. have all of this so this division which at least we always would have known about mm. kind of starts to blend and blend disappear in. that's gonna be pretty interesting yeah it's crazy i was on a, a ride a, a theme in a theme park it was in uh i want to say disneyland uh, in south la the one in south la so yeah. i was there not so long ago yeah. with kids I went on this ride and uh, it was crazy. They put us in this thing and like that, they put the headsets all came down. We didn't even have to put them on. They just kind of came down in front of us. Yeah. But we're on this extendable arm which shot us out into this virtual world. And like that, they had uh, mist and steam coming down and smells. Yeah. And I'm telling you now, for that moment, I was in another world. Like mm. I was gone. I yes. was full in. Yeah. Imagination went in and, and wanted willingly to go yes. in and stayed in there for whatever it was, five minutes and my four-year-old next to me was like dad are we really in mars are we on mars dad yeah, yeah. i was like no no this is a ride but enjoy the ride you know? yeah yeah but you are blending that whole thing and yeah um yeah i just think for me uh i'd err on the side of look we got to stay real we got to know that the table is the table it's there in front of us mm -hmm. and you know virtual reality will be beneficial i'm sure it's going to become massively beneficial in, in not just our world but in, uh, the, the medicine world mm -hmm. um like just the world in general but you know people have to remember to take the headset off and get back to reality sometimes you know children and i mean a lot of younger people even you know not that we're not reasonably young but young the internet you know wi-fi the non-existence of these things how much they're taken for granted what will be very interesting is a world where what you mean there wasn't virtual reality there oh, yeah. wasn't mixed reality there wasn't everything on demand there wasn't minority mm. report interfaces and that's kind of the scary bit because there won't really be any memory of anything before it it'll become very implicit yes and there won't be a notion that there can be anything beyond it yeah it's well that's just that I, I mean i've come to the 
conclusion that that's just the way it's going to be. I mean, my, my kids... <laughs> You're going to be the old guy in the corner in a few decades saying, I told yeah, you so. Yeah, my kids are in that world and, and they, they actually do understand. Yeah. Like I've explained to them, I said, you, you guys don't realise that when I was 16, the internet was pretty much invented roughly around then. Yeah. And I was like... You know, they were like, well, what did you do before that? I was like, well, we had landlines. What's that, Dad? Like, I didn't even have a mobile yeah, phone. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, and to some extent, I'd be I'd be more on the, the hesitant or resistant side. So in other words, my kids, they, they've, they've got iPads just to, to play with or whatever, but they don't have phones yet. They don't, like, they're not constantly on these things uh, where some of their friends are going to school and they're looking down, they're, right. they're playing with, I, I, you know, iPhones and whatever. Um, and that's just me, but I do understand that, and I've come to the conclusion that that's just the world uh, as it progresses. But here's a funny thing. I was only thinking about this the other day. Like, it, it literally only dawned on me the other day. Yeah. I was talking to my wife about memories and just, you know, what's your earliest memory? And, and, I was and like, just what? a quick interjection. Is she sick of you talking to her about that kind of thing? Or no, because she she's a psychologist. She, okay, okay. So, okay, so, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, she's not yeah, a practicing yeah, psychologist, yeah. but she studied psychology. <laughs> and used, so she's intri- interested as much as I am in this stuff. Uh, but we're just chatting about, you know, the fact that what's your earliest memory? And I was like, well, I think it's when I was kicking the nun in the shins on the way into play school. And I didn't want to be there. And she lifted me up off the ground, uh, you know, against my will. And I was trying to kick her and stuff. So I think that might be my earliest memory. And, I, and then it dawned on me, well, you know, our kids don't have to think about what their earliest memory is. Because when they're 18 or 19, they're just going to stick in a USB or probably right, a virtual right, headset. Think right, about this. Right. They'll probably be able to convert yes. all the photographs uh, and yeah. videos that we have into a virtual world for them so that when they're 20 years of age, 10 years from now, 12 years from now, they'll be able to stick on this virtual reality world and probably interact with themselves when they were kids. I mean, that's where it's going to go, yeah. which is yeah. bonkers if you think, because they don't. then yeah. they don't have to really remember. It's just yeah. there and accessible for them. Yeah. You know? And they're going to be the first generation of that. Mm-hmm. You know, That word mindfulness you use, though, does seem to come into it. You know what I mean? Because there's some sense that they're needing to be an antidote to all yeah. of this, a sense of simply stopping. Yeah, because it's, it's, but it's like it what you're saying. Uh, pe- people are just going to, they're going to stop thinking because everything is going to work for them. The cars are going to drive themselves. Right. You know, it will come to an extent, probably not anytime soon, but probably within our lifetime uh, that you'll have a virtual reality headset on. Mm-hmm. You'll think a thought and that information, that thought will just pop up. You won't even have to touch sure. anything. Sure. You know, people are now yeah. ordering all their food online from Tesco so that gets yeah. delivered to the door. So yeah. uh, I suppose then, you know, you get a treadmill with a virtual headset on. So why do you need to go to the forest when you can just have a treadmill <laughs> at home with a virtual headset on, smell the smells, feel the feelings, think the thoughts. It, there's a danger in it, you know. So I suppose, and we're at that stage now, aren't we, we? We absolutely are. So I suppose whether it's a washing machine as technology or whether it's, you know, futuristic self-ordering groceries or whether it's anything else, I suppose the hope is, isn't it, that we use the time we're given back for something really, really that matters. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's it. Yeah, yeah. To actually connect a bit more rather than yeah, why less. are we saving Let the technology time? support us rather than be the distraction? I'll tell you, if I if I get to save that much time, you'll find me on the banks of the shore at twelve o'clock at night catching cod. There's nothing better than catching in my world than catching a ten pound cod that you can eat for dinner because that you can't find that in virtual reality anywhere. You can go fishing, but you can't have the cod in your hands unless you order from Tesco. We have some fishing simulators over in the lab, so I'm you sure won't you need do. to leave the house anymore <laughs> now to, to do it. 
How can people find out a bit more about you if they want to check up on what you're doing? Well, all the dates for my tour, Keith Barry, uh, uh, Hypnomagic are on keithbarry.com. So that uh, I do, I think I'm doing about 30 dates all over the country. And then keithbarryseminars.com is where you can find all the information for all the different seminars I'll be doing in the coming years. The first one is in Carton House in Maynooth, December 3rd, and that's the Stop Smoking Seminar. And uh, yeah, uh, that's it. So Keith Barry Seminars and KeithBarry.com are on Facebook or Twitter. Yep, yep. Facebook is Keith Barry Official and then Twitter is Keith P. Barry. And uh, I'm very contactable. Like I answer as many of the, the queries or questions yeah. that I get on Facebook and Twitter and I don't have a social media person do it all myself. <laughs> very nice, very nice. Well, listen, Keith, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been a thank fascinating you. conversation. Yeah. Uh, really, it's, I think it's a form of therapy for me and maybe for you as well to get to explore some oh, of these great. topics. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm we don't always to get to getting my head into a headset now yeah. get into the virtual absolutely world. so we're going to go have a bit of fun with that uh, hopefully you'll come back on the podcast again sometime in I'd the future yeah, we'll see great. god knows with the te- a year from now we'll probably be have cyborg implants and I'll, you never I'll know it's moving fast we'll do it remotely exactly thanks Keith thank you thanks a minute cheers